Well, good morning. Uh, it's good to see you this morning. My name is Penny. Uh, if you're a guest or a visitor, welcome. We are glad that you're with us. Um, I, I want to reiterate what Frank mentioned earlier. We, we do have our uh, picnic this afternoon right after the service, and if you're a guest, if this is your first Sunday here or if it's your 101st, you are welcome to attend. We'd love for you to come. So um, it's at Starkey Park. If you don't know where that is, you can uh, talk to me or or someone around you, um, and we can help you get there. But we would uh, love for you to be with us and, uh, and to join us for our uh, time together this afternoon. It should be a beautiful day and, um, and some good food, at least some good, good desserts, hopefully. So, <laughs> uh, so judges, you're supposed to judge for mine, by the way, right? <laughs> Goes well if the pastor wins, right? No, I'm just kidding. Um, <clears throat> Just joking. Um, well, we're in Exodus chapter 14, Exodus 14, so if you have a Bible, you can turn there or you can follow along in your order of service, uh, Exodus 14. It has been a number of months since we were last in the book of Exodus. We were going through it in the fall, and when we hit summer, we decided to take a little break and spend some time in the Psalms and and maybe some of you were wondering if we would ever come back because we left it at the cliffhanger, the the height of the book is about to come. We, we left off with Moses and the people of God eating the Passover meal, but they hadn't actually exodused yet from Egypt. And, uh, but have no fear, we, we are going to be in the book of Exodus until Advent, and then we'll take another break and then hit the Ten Commandments come January. So uh, that's what we're going to be doing for the rest of the fall. Uh, but, but since it's been a number of months since we've been in Exodus, it's probably a good idea to remind you where we are. Remember, this book is the story of God delivering his people from bondage. So Israel has been enslaved to Egypt for hundreds of years. Uh, they've been in bondage, they've been enslaved, and this is not uh, what God intends for his people. Slavery is not something that God would have for anyone. And so as the people cry out to the Lord, he hears their cry. And he sends for them a deliverer, Moses. He raises one up from their midst. He preserved him. Remember when Pharaoh tried to kill the firstborn sons? He preserved Moses miraculously. He revealed himself to Moses on the mountaintop. I am Yahweh. I am your God. He sent Moses back to the people and said, let my people go to Pharaoh. But you remember, Pharaoh didn't uh, just easily give in. He tried to hold on to his slave labor, and he made the job even more difficult for them. And then God responded with plagues, right? Gnats and frogs and boils and cattle until finally the final plague, that of the death of the firstborn, allowed, it broke Pharaoh and allowed him to free the slaves, for him to release them and Moses to lead the slaves out of captivity. He gave them a meal, and that's where we left them, eating this meal, ready to leave the land, to exit from it and move towards the promised land. And so let's pick up our reading now in Exodus 14. We're only going to read the first nine verses to begin with. But we will read the entire passage as the sermon goes on. This is the word of the Lord. Then the Lord said to Moses, Tell the people of Israel to turn back and encamp in front of Pi-Haharoth, between Migdal and in the sea, in front of Baal-Zephon. 
you shall encamp facing it by the sea. For Pharaoh will say of the people of Israel, they are wandering in the land. The wilderness has shut them in. And I will harden Pharaoh's heart and he will pursue them. And I will get glory over Pharaoh and all his hosts. And the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord. And they did so. When the king of Egypt was told that the people had fled, the mind of Pharaoh and his servants was changed towards the people. And they said, what is this we have done that we have let Israel go from serving us? So he made ready his chariot and took his army with him and took 600 chosen chariots and all the other chariots of Egypt with officers over all of them. And the Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh, king of Egypt, and he pursued the people of Israel while the people of Israel were going out defiantly. The Egyptians pursued them. All Pharaoh's horses and chariots and his horsemen and his army overtook them and camped at the sea by pi Haharoth in front of Baal Zephon. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, at the end of May, uh, the beginning of June 1940, um, over 300,000 British and French troops found themselves trapped on the beaches of Dunkirk. Some of you maybe know this story because you saw Christopher Nolan's uh, incredible depiction of this, theatrical depiction of this recently. But, but over 300,000 men, actually close to 400,000 men, were stranded on the beach. See, the German uh, army had pushed them towards these beaches. Dunkirk was, is an area of France uh, right, right across the channel from England. And so the British line had pushed the, or the German line had pushed the British and the French troops onto the beach so that they were surrounded. There was nowhere for them to go. To the east was the German line and to the west was the sea, the channel. And there was nothing for them to do. Now the German line, they actually stopped. They halted and didn't advance. But even as they didn't advance, they still sent planes and bombers over top, and they dropped bombs onto the beach, killing some of the men there. Destroyers, a handful of them, were sent by the British Navy into the channel to rescue these men, but, but they faced bombing from overhead and torpedoes from below. There was no hope of escape. There was no way that the men could flee. If they went to the east, they would meet the enemy. If they went to the west, they would find the sea. And the British leaders in London, realizing the difficulty of evacuating this number of men, actually restrained the number of destroyers they went in. They were afraid that if they sent their entire fleet, it would be completely decimated and the island would be open to further attack. Sent a few bombers, a few destroyers, they started to conceive of perhaps a conditional surrender. There was no hope. No one was coming for them. They were left on their own, surrounded and trapped. The battle or the sea, one of them would destroy them. It's that sort of situation that Israel is faced with right now. You see, God actually didn't take them the most direct way to the promised land. We would have heard if we would have read chapter 13, but in chapter 13, God actually redirected them. He did this end around. Instead of going the direct way, he, he moved them to this other place because he was afraid that the people would see the, the inhabitants of the land and Israel would turn back and return to Egypt. And so God turned them and he put them right at the sea. <laughs> it would seem like a military blunder. And that's what Egypt thought. We heard it 
In verse 5, Egypt, they see what they have done and they ask, what is this we have done that we have let Israel go from serving us? So Pharaoh made ready his chariot and took his army with him and pursued after Israel. Pharaoh realized, I just gave away my free labor. Who's going to build my pyramids? And who's going to create my statues? Who's going to harvest my grain? I just gave away my free labor. And so the most powerful nation in all the world is going to use and implement the most powerful weapon of war that the day knew. Chariots. And he's riding after them. And he pins them in between the sea and his army. There is nowhere for Israel to go. They are trapped. The armies of Egypt in front, the Red Sea behind them, wherever they will go will bring destruction and death. And so what do they do? Well, we hear of it in verse 10. Continue reading. When Pharaoh drew near, the people of Israel lifted up their eyes. Now, it's fascinating. Uh, eyes and sight and seeing, that, that's a common theme that shows up in this chapter. They, they look up. Keep reading. They lifted up their eyes, and behold, the Egyptians were marching after them, and they feared greatly. And the people of Israel cried out to the Lord. Did you hear how they responded first? With fear, with terror. They looked up, and they see the Egyptian army coming, and their eyes are full of fear. Now, just moments before, they were filled with confidence. Did you hear it in verse 8? That as they were leaving Egypt, the people of Israel were going out defiantly. Now, that word defiantly in the Hebrew, it has the connotation of bold or confidently. So can you imagine that the people of, e of Israel, they're leaving Egypt, they were once slaves, and now they're leaving. And, and we were told in earlier chapters that the Egyptians gave them possessions to take with them. And they're leaving with all these things. And they're not going dejected and downcast and their faces turned down, but their faces lifted up. They're confident and bold as they leave Egypt. But now, how quickly their confidence has dissolved into doubt, into fear. Yes, they cry out to the Lord. We don't know what that cry entailed, but very quickly after they cry out to the Lord, what do they say? They say in verse 11, to Moses, is it because there are no graves in Egypt that you have taken us away to die in the wilderness? What have you done to us in bringing us out of Egypt? Is not this what we said to you in Egypt? Leave us alone that we may serve the Egyptians. For it would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the wilderness. They turn from dependence to doubt. What looked like trust turns away to questioning. Moses, you led us out of Egypt. You promised us life, but all we see before us is death. Why would you do this? We could have stayed in Egypt. We at least would have had our bellies full as they killed us. Their questioning and their doubt actually reflects a couple things about Israel. It reflects a couple things about us. I mean, think about how quickly they forgot all that God had done for them. I mean, think about what they had seen. They'd been enslaved for hundreds of years, and they cry out to the Lord, and the Lord heard them, and he raises up a deliverer, and he brings plagues upon Egypt. They saw the gnats and the boils, and they felt the darkness. Actually, they didn't feel it because the darkness was only on Egypt, wasn't it? 
But their land remained in the light. They had seen the powerful hand of God. And yet now, how quickly they had forgotten. They allowed their immediate circumstances to cloud all that they knew to be true, all that they had previously seen. They quickly forgot all that God had done. But their fear didn't just cause them to forget what God had done. It also forgot them, caused them to forget what God had said. What God had said. Now, I have a friend of mine who uh, every time I call him or send him an email or a text and say, hey, we'll call him John, okay? Hey, John, uh, do you want to get lunch sometime? Maybe Friday. Can we get a cup of coffee? Can we get together? I'd love to talk to you about some things. As soon as I say that, maybe this resonates with you. He starts feeling a lot of anxiety. <laughs> he starts to get worried. Okay, Penny, the pastor, just called me and says he wants to talk to me. But he didn't tell me what he wants to talk to me about. So, so surely, of course, that means that I've committed some egregious sin. He's going to call me out on it, right? Or, or I've done something that I'm not even aware of, but he saw or he heard about what's going on in my family and how I talked to my wife last week or, or my kids have been making too much noise or something like that. So he's going to call me, which, by the way, I wouldn't call you out for that. Kids are supposed to make noise. Make noise, children. Um, <laughs> But that's what he starts worrying about. That's what he starts to fear. His anxiety starts to, does that ever happen to y'all? I mean, who am I having lunch with this week? Like, are you worried right now, <laughs> you know? <laughs> so then I would sit down with him. I get coffee with John. I get lunch. And he'd realize very quickly that I had no intention of calling him out or pointing something out. I just wanted to be with him. I wanted to hear about his family, about his life, about his marriage, how I could pray for him. And very quickly, the anxiety just kind of melted away, and we could have a nice conversation. And so I learned very, very quickly that whenever I reached out to John, I needed to say, hey, man, let's get together. I have no agenda. <laughs> Do not worry. It's just going to be us hanging out. We're just going to talk. We're just going to have a good conversation. That's all that I have planned. I just want to get to know you and you to get to know me. That's all I want to do. And in doing that, what I was doing was helping him be prepared for what was to come, right? He went into those lunches. He wasn't afraid. He wasn't worried. He wasn't concerned. He knew that we could just have a casual, nice conversation. He was prepared for what was to come. And that's exactly what God did with Israel. That's what God did with Israel. We heard it in verse 2. He says to Moses, tell the people of Israel to turn back. And Pharaoh will see, and he will pursue. He said, turn Israel, but don't worry. Pharaoh's going to come get them. <laughs> Tell them Pharaoh's going to pursue you. But, God says, I will get glory over Pharaoh and all his hosts, and the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord. God's saying this is going to happen. He's saying, Pharaoh will pursue you. They will come to attack you, but do not fear, because I'll be with you. I'm going to get my glory. Not by having you destroyed, I'm going to get my glory by defeating Pharaoh. Do not fear. God had prepared them for what was to come. But they forgot. Their eyes were filled with fear. They could only see the danger before them. What they saw overwhelmed what they heard to be true. And this happens to us. It happens to me. We hear wonderful truths like we heard already this morning in the assurance of pardon. That we will walk through the water, but it will not overwhelm us. 
that we will walk through the fire, but it will not burn us because God is with us. We hear those wonderful truths on Sunday mornings, like, like if you are in Christ, your sins, they are forgiven. That there is nothing that can remove you from the palm of the hand of our Father. We hear these wonderful truths. We read of them in the quiet of our rooms in the morning. That we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. That he's the one making us into the image of his son. That he will not leave us nor forsake us. We hear these wonderful truths and we say yes and amen. And then we go out and we are faced with conversations that we didn't expect. And circumstances we couldn't have foreseen. And fears start to erupt in our hearts. And how quickly we forget that God is with us. We start to wonder, we start to doubt, maybe he has finally left us. We do it as well. We forget, and in our forgetting, we allow fear to fill our eyes. Not faith. That's what Israel did. Despite what they had seen, despite what they knew to be true, they allowed what they saw to fill their eyes with fear, not with faith. But God is going to give them reason for why they can have eyes full of faith, to move them from fear to faith. Look at what Moses says after they complain against him. In verse 13, the story goes on. Moses said to the people, fear not. Stand firm and see the salvation of the Lord for which he will work for you today. For the Egyptians whom you see today, you shall never see again. The Lord will fight for you and you only have to be silent. God's going to fight for them. Now in times to come in Israel's history, God is going to fight for his people by preparing them, by equipping them for the battle. And so God's going to call them to take up arms against Og. Y'all remember that later? God's going to tell them to march around the city of Jericho. God is going to tell them to man the walls of Jerusalem. He's going to prepare them by equipping them. That's how he's going to fight on their behalf. But here, did you hear how, what they are to do? You only have to be silent. Isn't that amazing? Moses didn't say, grab your sword, take hold of your shield. They didn't have a sword. <laughs> they didn't have shields. They didn't have horses to mount or chariots to rise. All he said was, you only have to be silent. What they need to do was fix their eyes on the Lord, to be silent and rest and trust in the God the God who is going to save them and rescue them. This is why they are to put their faith in him. This is why we are to trust in him, because God is showing us why we can have faith. See, he's going to shield his people. That's what he does in verses 19 and 20. The angel of God who was going before the host of Israel moved and went behind them, and the pillar of cloud moved from before them and stood behind them, coming between the host of Egypt and the host of Israel. And there was a cloud in the darkness, and it lit up the night without one coming near the other all night. The Lord is the pillar of cloud, and he stands between Israel and Egypt so that Egypt could not come near Israel. These two nations that are about to go to war against each other, or so it feels. And yet God stands between them, protecting his people, shielding them from their enemy. And he shields them in order to save them. 
You see, he doesn't just shield them, he moves to save them. That's the second reason why we can put our faith in him, why our eyes can be full of faith, because God saves his people. He shields them and he saves them. We see it in verse 13. Moses said, Fear not, stand firm, and see the salvation of the Lord. And then verse 21, salvation comes. Follow along. Moses stretched out his hand over the sea. And the Lord drove, back, drove the sea back by a strong east wind all night and made the sea dry land and the waters were divided. And the people of Israel went into the midst of the sea on dry ground, the waters being a wall to them on their right hand and on their left. The Egyptians pursued and went in after them into the midst of the sea, all Pharaoh's horses, his chariots and his horsemen. And in the morning watch, the Lord in the pillar of fire of cloud looked down on the Egyptian forces and threw the Egyptian forces into a panic, clogging their chariot wheels so that they drove heavily. And the Egyptians said, let us flee from before Israel for the Lord fights for them against the Egyptians. God saves his people. He parts the waters and they walk through. Now, now we're so familiar with this story. It, it's not even like there's no awe for us anymore, right? Because we've seen Charlton Heston standing there and the waters parting. And we've seen the prince of Egypt and, and y'all who are old enough remember those flannel graphs, right? I, I don't think we have flannel anymore. But, but we've become so accustomed to this story that it's just second, you know, like it just kind of rolls over us. But think about what God did. A strong east wind, he blew the sea apart and dried the land so that the people could walk through it. I mean, this, is, this reminds me of like those tunnels that you see at the aquarium or the zoo. Some of y'all have been to these where, where you are walking underwater and you have the, the plexiglass so you can see all the fishies swimming around, right? And you are walking through the water, but, but there's that glass that's protecting you, right? That's why you know the water's not going to cave in and drown you and the shark's not going to eat you, right? But there was no glass. <laughs> and there were no walls of cement. Walls of water. I could imagine that the first Israelite to step foot, I mean, could you know, maybe like, uh, <laughs> is it going to hold? Because the only thing that is holding it up is the mighty hand of God. They, had no, they couldn't see it. They couldn't see God's power holding it up. And yet there it was. I love the way the prince of Egypt depicts this. Right, All the fishes are swimming and they can see the fish. Right? I mean, maybe that's what it was like. You know, they're walking through and there's, you know, there's a, I don't know what kind of fish are in the Red Sea. But there are some of them. And maybe they're jumping. Right? Like maybe they jump and go over maybe who knows but the point is is that God was saving his people in a mighty way and we just let this go like yeah God parted the waters it's kind of cool this is a miracle this is a miracle that God did in order to save his people he took the place that was destruction and he made it the place of deliverance I mean think about that the sea should have been the place where they drowned and died, and yet it became the place of life. That's what God did miraculously. And this act of salvation became paradigmatic for all of Israel's history. I mean, throughout Israel's history, this is the event that they kept pointing back to to remind their people 
of all that God had done, of his grace and his love for them. They actually even experienced it in later generations. You remember when they were entering into the promised land? And they come to the river Jordan, right? And the priests holding, carrying uh, properly, carrying the Ark of the Covenant, they step foot into the water. And what happened? The river parted. They're experiencing a second exodus. And generation after generation would remind one another of what God had done every time they ate the Passover. God's deliverance, his rescue of his people. And in the Psalms, like Psalm 77, you remember we looked at Psalm 77 this summer, when the psalmist is crying out in lament, what does he turn to to firm up his faith? The Exodus. I will remember your works of old, how you led Moses and Aaron by the hand through the sea. It is the exodus that they keep going back to again and again and again. It was the central saving moment of Israel. But it is not just central to Israel. It's central to the New Testament people as well. See, you remember Jesus on the Mount of Transfiguration. Do you remember who came and spoke to him? Elijah and Moses, the great prophets of old. And they spoke to Jesus about his departure And that word for departure in the Greek is his, listen, I I don't normally say Greek or Hebrew words, but listen, it was his exodon. Do you hear it? His exodus. That Jesus was about to experience an exodus of sorts in which he would go to the cross and to the grave where the place of destruction would actually be the place of deliverance that he would go through this exodus in order to deliver not just his people, but all his people, all of us from our sin. That he would save us. That he would deliver us. I mean, the cross and the grave, these were the places of death. And yet for us, it was the place of salvation. That's what Christ does for us. That instead of it being the place of defeat, it's the place of deliverance. God takes our sins and he imputes it upon Jesus in the cross. And he goes to the grave, but the grave cannot contain him. No, he is delivered powerfully out of it. And he raises to new life so that we too would know deliverance. That we would know salvation. Forgiveness from our sin. That God has shielded us from the judgment we are deserving, and he has saved us from the death that we have earned. The place of salvation. That is what God has done, not just for Israel in the Exodus, but through Christ in his Exodus. But his salvation, it doesn't stop with Israel making it through the sea. With God shielding and saving his people, it goes on, because the place of Deliverance was not just the place of deliverance for God's people, it was the place of destruction for their enemy. See, that's the final reason why we can have great faith. Our eyes can be filled with faith because for Egypt, the waters was the place of death. That's what we see in verses 26 and following. The Lord said to Moses, stretch out your hand over the sea, that the water may come back upon the Egyptians, upon their chariots, and upon their horsemen. So Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and the sea returned to its normal course when the morning appeared. And as the Egyptians fled into it, the Lord threw the Egyptians into the midst of the sea. The waters returned and covered the chariots and the horsemen of all the host of Pharaoh that had followed them into the sea. 
Not one of them remained, but the people of Israel walked on dry ground through the sea, the waters being a wall to them on their right hand and on their left. Thus the Lord saved Israel that day from the hand of the Egyptians, and Israel saw the Egyptians dead on the seashore. Israel saw the great power that the Lord used against the Egyptians, so the people feared the Lord, and they believed in the Lord and in his servant Moses. So do you hear what happened? What happened is like what happened in uh, the Fellowship of the Rings. So uh, my younger two, Mead and Cole, we, we watched uh, the Fellowship and the Two Towers last weekend. The extended versions, thank you very much. Um, <laughs> I mean, two and a half hours for a movie? We want four, right, guys? Um, so, uh, but there's this wonderful scene in the Fellowship of the Ring where Arwen is uh, carrying Frodo on the horse, right? Frodo has been stabbed by the Nazgul, by the Blade of Mordor, and he's flying. She's racing to get him to the house of Elrond in Rivendell. And so they cross over the Fort of Brunion, right? Y'all know what I'm talking about, right? The Fort of Brunion. Y'all are like, what a dork. <laughs> Nazgul and Frodo's, and what is this? But anyway, just hold with me. So, so they cross over this ford, this little river, and, and the elf turns, and and these ring wraiths who are the enemy, right? They're not quite dead, but they're not quite alive. They're chasing after, and they're ready to step into the water because it was safe for the elf to cross over, and they start to step in, and she starts muttering the elvish words, right? I, I'm not big enough dork to be able to quote the elvish, but, um, but she starts muttering that, and you hear this roar coming from upstream, and all of a sudden, the river is filled with water, and it sweeps the Nazgul away and kills their horses, and the place of deliverance became for the enemy the place of destruction. And that's what happens to Egypt. Israel could walk through on dry land, so surely the Egyptians could follow. And so they start to move, and they start to walk in, but God commands Moses, stretch out your hand one more time, Moses. And he stretches it out, and in those walls that were being held up now come crashing down. They come crashing down and destroy Egypt, right? I mean, the passage gets graphic in verse 30. Israel saw the Egyptians dead on the seashore. That ain't on your flannel graphs. <laughs> <laughs> but that's exactly what happened. The place of deliverance became the place of death for those who would oppose the Lord and oppose his people. And Israel saw the powerful hand of God. And how do they respond? They feared him. They put their faith in him. They believed in the Lord and in his messenger, Moses. See, friends, when we see that God defeats his enemies and he shields and he saves his people, it changes the way we see that our eyes aren't filled with fear anymore, but they're filled with faith, filled with faith, even, even when from our perception all hope is lost. We can have faith that God will shield and save us. Now, on that day, on the beaches of Dunkirk, on those weeks, actually, those days, it did look like all hope was lost. From their perception, it was. It would have been easy to be overcome by fear over the course of those days. I mean, it, it would have looked like hope was lost. The, the sea on one side and the enemy bearing down on the other. 
The British and French armies, they would have suffered great defeat. British destroyers weren't entering the channel. Very few planes were flying over. And some men, so convinced that salvation was impossible, they took off their packs and walked into the water. Hope felt like lost. And yet, over the course of nine days, 861 vessels, not destroyers, not boats armed for war, 861 vessels, small boats like pleasure cruisers and fishing boats, ferries and commercial vessels, they were used to evacuate 338,226 men. It was nothing short of a miracle. The place of destruction, the water, became the place of deliverance. The place of certain death became the place of sure salvation. That's what happened to Israel. When pushed against the water and the enemy ready to kill, God miraculously used the place of death to save them. Now, friends, I wouldn't have blamed those men on the beach at Dunkirk for their fear. For they stood in the face of death and there was no promise of salvation. But for Israel, for us, there is a promise. Moses said, watch and see the powerful hand of God, how he will save you. But there is more than promise. There is certainty. For we are told in verse 31 that Israel saw the great power that the Lord used against the Egyptians. They saw his power. They feared the Lord. They trusted in him. And friends, we have seen that power as well. We have not seen it with our own eyes, but we have seen it in the pages of his word that God has delivered his people from salvation by the powerful hand, by his powerful hand. He has defeated his enemies. He has shielded us from our judgment and he has saved us from our sin. So we need not fear. Our eyes do not have to be filled with fear, but instead to be filled with faith. Faith in the one who is saved and the one who shields and the one who defends, and the one who goes with us. Let's pray. Our God and our King, we do thank you that you have saved your people, that you have redeemed us, that your mighty hand was not just at work thousands of years ago when you delivered Israel out of Egypt, but it was at work when you rose Jesus from the dead, when he walked out of the tomb with a new body, with a resurrected body, victorious over death and hell and the grave. Because of that salvation, the power that you have worked, we have great faith. And so we ask, fill our eyes with faith. Let us see clearly. Let us see beyond our circumstance and our situation and let us see your hand of power at work through Christ and in us. Do this, we pray, in Christ's name. And God's people said together, Amen.